This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 68 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host Mike Parkin and joining me this week is Dave Wayne and Richard Hawes. Hello. Hello. <coughs> now you have to excuse the quality of my voice this week. Unfortunately I lost it <coughs> shortly after. <coughs> oh my god. Now you have to excuse the quality of my voice this week after um, I lost it following um, an interview I did with the wonderful Jesse Johnson last week. Um, that interview will be appearing on our next episode. Um, but tonight is a special episode. We're going to be uh, looking at three Nicolas Cage films that have come out recently. It's our Nick Cage special. Um, so tonight we'll be looking at um, the Humanity Bureau, 211 and Mom and Dad. But before we get into all that, let's take a look at the DTV chart. Yes, here we are with another DTV chart. We've uh, separated the wheat from the chaff and uh, we've got seven uh, DTV releases from the official video chart top 100 to tell you about uh, and what their positions were. And we're just going to crack off, uh, crack on straight away with the Mumbai Siege, Four Days of Terror, which is at number seven. Cool, I haven't had a chance to see this. This is an Australian-Nepalese co-production, previously called One Less God. Hmm. We talked a bit about this in the last episode, because we um, had a look at the Dave, channel. have you been renting this one in the store? No, I haven't. It just didn't appeal to me, really. Um, yeah, it just just didn't appeal to me. I, I don't know if anyone's going to make time to watch this, but um, but no, uh, I've got a couple of... Uh, did we see the trailer of this a few weeks back? What, what, yeah, am I mentioning? In last, yeah, in the last episode. Um, but no, no, I'm afraid not. So uh, I can offer no words of wisdom on this time. No. Okay. Well, you can for number six, which is uh, Mayhem, which is in its second week. Uh, last week it was number three, so this week yeah. it's number six, Mayhem. But that, that's really cool numbers, to be honest, because when you think of it, this title wasn't in any of the supermarkets. And to be honest, the supermarkets are considered to be the only way to sell big numbers for DTV. So it looks as though Joe Lynch's name has generated some really good sales on this, and deservedly so, because it's it's a really amazing film. I urge you both to watch it. It's it's so much fun. Um, and as we, as we spoke online, Rich, earlier on um, <laughs> last week about uh, this having a, a, a shudder, um, catalogue number, um, yeah. which goes to show that um, should have inked some kind of uh, ongoing deal with Kaleidoscope with future releases penciled in for films like Downrange, which is great news, to be honest, because, um, you know, as I said to Mike uh, a few weeks back, it's great to watch these films on Shudder in, in HD and, 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 yeah, glorious. But, you know, if, um, if you're of a certain age... Um, you do like to hold a, a physical copy in your hand, so that, that's really great news. That, the only downside is it's, um, I know it's something we cover quite a lot. It is quite a, a sharp change from the original cover art, which was just spectacular. And it is the cover art that adorns the German Blu-ray. Um, and also it's a DVD only release, which, 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 which sucks, to be honest. Um, it would have been nice to have this on Blu-ray, and I think it would have done some, some good numbers. But nevertheless, it's still good to see this lingering in, in the chart uh, in its second week. How long is it? What's the pace like on the film? Oh, it's, it's pretty tight, to be honest. I think it's only um, 
you know, what, 80, 85 minutes or something. Um, but it's just great fun. It's one of those films that's set all inside the one building. Um, and it, 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 it's a rip roaring pace. Uh, cause I'm not a Walking Dead fan, so I wasn't that familiar with the lead guy. Uh, but he's great in it. Um, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, this is the antithesis to the the Belko experiment. Um, mm, mm. It, <laughs> I found that Good too comparison. ponderous. By yeah, him, very much. Um, yeah. Okay, moving on to number five. It's last week's number one, uh, which uh, you uh, might have seen if you follow us on Twitter. But yeah, every week that we're not on air, if you want to know what the latest chart is, just uh, nip over to Twitter for the DTV Digest. We publish the chart every week. So that's uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. Yeah, I haven't yeah. checked this out. <clears throat> no, I haven't checked this out either. I got Mary Magdalene in this week as well, so they're both uh, sitting uh, <laughs> snuggling together. Are they renting? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I tell you a film that must still be renting in your store as well as everywhere else because <laughs> copies are flying off the shelves. For the 19th week, Rex, here back again, <laughs> at, uh, at number 82 in the top 100. Can it ever leave? Can it go? Can it go the full year? Can it go the full year? That's what we need to know. I mean, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is brilliant. But someone needs to put this dog down to be honest, because uh, it, it's crazy. I'm going to move it tomorrow. I'm going to move. I'm going to fox people. I'm going to put it with all the new releases. I'm going to see if it starts renting again because it will. Uh, Try and get some kids onto it. Yeah, parents and kids, they'll love this crap. Uh, no, but, yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. Sorry. No, I was just going to move on. Say uh, number three. A uh, film I'm quite intrigued about, uh, John Hammer's in it. It's called Genesis. Yeah, I regret not getting this because this is from the guys, um, I forgot their name, um, the, the director's got a double-barreled surname, hasn't it? Which yeah. <laughs> which really helps. Um, but he did a really good film um, called World War Dead or something. He did a zombie film in the time where zombie films were ten a penny. But his was one of the ones that stood out. And I know that makes no sense whatsoever. But he 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 did uh, he did the really good zombie movie, so I was quite uh, intrigued and seeing. So I, I I don't know why it passed me by, but it's interesting to see this so high up in its second week. Uh, so yeah, that's good news. And moving on to number two, we're not going to say too much about this because uh, it's one of our feature reviews. It's two one one. Yeah, this is one of our Nick Cage films this week, so we'll skip straight over to number one. And at number one, the sharks are back. It's Deep Blue Sea two. Uh, it's, uh, it ranked at number sixteen in the top one hundred. Uh, we're not sure if it's going to if it's as big a hit as Jeepers Creepers three or Beyond Skyline before. Uh, they both came in at number three, but it was a different time, different week. You know, I don't know, but uh, that's still a, a hell of a place. Yeah, Dave, I know you've seen this. Um, yeah, I I consider this to be a bit of a missed opportunity. It's got it's got decent production values, but um, it, it pulls a cheat with the shark. Um, which is which is really annoying, unfortunately, and it is too much of a carbon copy of the original. Yeah, I just find it really laborious. Just, 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 just hard work to get through. I also think it was um, not the most sensible idea to call it Deep Blue Sea Two. It was twenty years since the first one. You know, just, just drop that. It's, it doesn't make any sense from a marketing point of view. Well, maybe it does make sense from a marketing point of view. It's number one, but uh, you know, it just. I, I think if this would have been called something else, like I don't know wacky sharks in the sea um mm-hmm. then you know i would have been more intrigued in, into watching it but because you've got that sort of uh, high-end box office film that you're judging it against then it's, it's only gonna fail miserably uh, and that it does and yeah don't, i think don't you mean um baby, baby wacky sharks <laughs> yeah, yeah as well 
Yeah, I think amid all the other shark movies that are out, I think the the, the brand, you know, it's a smaller film from from a, a long time ago, mm. but the brand recognition is clearly yeah, what's yeah. getting people picking it up in the supermarkets. True. Yeah. So that is. Uh, oh, I just wanted to ask: Is it a remake sequel or a sequel remake? And what, what I mean by that is: Are there any ties to the original? No, apart apart from the set. The set, the set is very similar to the, um, you know, the submarine base they had in the original. So it's more of a remake sequel where they've just made the same film, and but called it a two. They could have called it Deep Blue Sea, basically, if they wanted to. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not. Uh, it's not a film I'm particularly interested to to see. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no pun intended. But the um, it'll be interesting to see what it's placing, where it's placing uh, in the next week or two. So that's Absolutely. the DTB chart for this week. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got eight trailers to look at, and we're going to start off with a doozy. It's called Overlord. Now, it's been rumoured that this is um, the next instalment in the very loose, um, very loosely connected Cloverfield uh, franchise, um, chiefly because it's produced by J.J. Abrams. Um, this is set during the Second World War. It sees um, a platoon of ragtag. Um, Allied soldiers entering a bunker system and finding some weird experiments going on. There's been one or two films like this, but with much lower budgets. Um, I'm looking at the um, Outpost films, especially Outpost yeah. 2, um, Frankenstein's Army, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it looks great, uh, and I love the use of the um, Hell's Bells uh, ACDC track on the soundtrack as well. Yeah. Yeah, it does look really good, to be honest. Because uh, after the last one, I forget what it was called. Um, but the you know, you're tired of this. Yeah, because because um, you know, I, I saw. I don't know who did the notes in the in the coming scene section, but they're really helpful because they put me in a state of mind from what to expect when I saw the trailer. And then with this one, I saw like Cloverfield, and I thought, oh right, okay, low expectations. So I was really pleased. Just to watch this and just be blown away, you know. And, and the film itself has got great pedigree. I mean, you only need to look at the two writers on the film. You got Billy uh, Billy Ray, who's like Hollywood uh, scripting royalty, you know, having done things like Captain Phillips and Hunger Games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and you've got um, Mark L. Smith as well, who did who did Vacancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's two really good writers. So this looks absolutely the nuts nuts. Yeah, that's I think the the consensus seems to be now having the trailer having dropped that the while the original impression was that it might be the next Cloverfield movie that it that it pretty much unless there's going to be some sort of surprise which you never know know with J.J. Abrams films that the the consensus now seems to be this is probably absolutely nothing to do with Cloverfield and that was just a you know misunderstanding rumor mill kind of thing because this doesn't have any sort of trace of any reference to. Uh, anything in the in the Cloverfield movies, so it's just people making assumptions. I think, mm, possibly. I, I was though when I was watching the trailer, I, I was thinking of Rich a great deal. <laughs> um, because are you in West Sussex, Rich? No, I'm in Kent. Kent, which is close, isn't it? Um, no, it's not that. Right, <laughs> but there is a on the other... East Sussex border. Okay, that's close enough for me because the the, the they actually used. Uh, but the set was a decommissioned branch line in West Six, so mm-hmm. I thought that might be a nugget of trivia that you would um, be, be very interested in. 
knowing your railway history. Yeah. Now, the, the, um, switching over to feelings about the film, uh, Mike, you, you're very excited about it, and Dave, you too. Yeah. This one kind of actually left me a bit cold. I wasn't, uh, I'm not actually that bothered. I like the throwing into the ACDC. That's always a good trailer trick to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought it looked fine, but it did just make me want to watch um, Outpost again. And like you said, and you're saying Outpost 2 is quite similar. I've never seen 2 or 3. So oh, two, I'm two's really, really good. 2's very good. Out. So I'm probably more interested to now see that rather than this. And uh, but um, I do, I will definitely see it. But mm. it's, it just doesn't, you know, don't blow me away. Okay, let's move on to our next one. It's called Outlawed. This stars um, Adam Collins, who is um, a real life ex-soldier who's now um, doing some stunt work and acting. Um, now this trailer, when it started, I thought we were back in uh, London Rampage. <laughs> You thought we were back in London Rampage territory, yes. didn't you, Mike? I did think we were back in London Rampage territory, um, with you know, in terms of the acting. But as the trailer went on, um, I, I think this has got some pretty strong production values going for it. Some good stunt work, some good action. Um, this could be a sleeper. Yeah, I think the um, I think it looks inc- uh, incredibly ambitious. Some of the some of the big sort of set piece sequences they've really gone to town. This is Adam Adam Collins making his directorial and I think co scripting <laughs> uh, debut. He's been knocking around for quite some time. We saw him in Essex Heist way back in, in, in a few months ago. Yeah, we reviewed course, that yeah. film. He's done a couple. He's done that and another film with Steve Lawson. I think he did Killasaurus. But the he's you know, like you say doing a lot of stunt work. He's he's an ex uh, special forces guy. So he's a bit like an Olivia Gruner uh, from mm. Nottingham. Basically, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, when we watched Stratton, I was saying, you know, I, I want to see. I I didn't love Stratton, but I was kind of thinking, I do want to see more films like this. Yeah. And I think this would definitely fit in with that kind of hmm. fits in with that kind of vein. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. M- more more than the um, trailer, I love the poster. I think the poster art's absolutely excellent. Yeah. It's a really good, a really good comparison to be honest, Rich, to compared to Stratton, yeah, especially. That kind of regional uh, action filmmaking. Because um, when you say they've gone to town with this film, they actually have gone to town. Uh, because looking at the end sequences, what, what you presume to be the end sequences of the film, they've actually shut down Nottingham City Centre, which, you know, is, is no mean feat. That's, that's quite a spectacular uh, thing to do. So it just goes to show the, uh, the, 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 um, the good intention or the, the heightened, the uh, ambition. Mm-hmm. Of the film crew, um, yeah, I lived in, in Nottingham for three years when I was at university, and right. it was pretty cool to see some uh, some local sites. This this does look very good because you you know my opinion on the old uh, British gangster crime films all set in London, and it's so mm-hmm. tiresome. Uh, and that was one thing that I liked about Stratton. And again, with this, that's one of the things that really appeals to me. So this could do for Nottingham what mm. uh, Instant Death did for Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move on to our next one, <laughs> and that is uh, Vengeance, also known in the States as I Am Vengeance, and it is the US trailer that we're looking at, um, starring Stu Bennett and Gary Daniels, um, directed by our friend uh, Ross Boyask. This is a very decent, not not huge budget, but he's got a decent um, cast. Uh, he's also got Brian Larkin in there, who's somebody I really like. From uh, Chasing the Dragon. Um, I was speaking to Ross last week um, about the film. Um, we'll be do- dropping that interview in September. 
Um, but he he did sort of tell me that um, he's very pleased with this trailer because it looks like whoever put it together understands the humour. Well, he's a trailer man himself, isn't he? So <coughs> he knows he knows the score. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, you know the fact that they sort of end on that sort of punchline, uh, you know, sort of first first rounds on me, lads. Uh, you know, he, he he was really pleased with that. So yeah, I don't uh, think we've mentioned this is a big starring role for Stu Bennett. Uh, from mm-hmm. the WWE, who, who we previously saw in Eliminators with Scott Atkins. That's right. Um, he's also appearing in Fanged Up, which we'll get to that a little bit later. I rented up tonight. I rented up tonight, so I'm going to see that in about in about three hours' time when we finish. And Saturday cool. Night Wrestling is back on ITV. Yes, apparently, I watched that as well, and it was actually pretty decent. And he's headlining. Well, sort of. Introducing it, I think. Rob, well, he's chairing it. it. He's, he's chairing the chairman. It, yeah. yeah. So he's like the Vince McMahon. Kind of, yeah, basically. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, and also in that in that show is um, Will Osprey from that London Rampage film that we just mm. mentioned a minute ago, who I was really impressed by in that. So he he, he those is very two guys. Good. Yeah. It does make me want to actually good. watch it. But anyway, getting back to uh, Avengers, <laughs> the so it's an action with a comedy. Uh, it doesn't, to me, look look like it's going to reach the heights of Accident Man. I think that's pretty much the, bent, the sort of high watermark yeah. we've got at the moment. Uh, I've not loved Ross's films. I love him as a you know as a guy to listen to to talk to. Yeah. I've only met him very briefly once, but uh, I love listening to his podcasts and everything. And he's a very funny guy. And I did review his film Ten Dead Men about ten years ago, yeah, which sorry, I kind of as we all did. <laughs> yeah, which. I, I, I wanted, to, I kind of gave it a kinder review than, than I really felt about it because I felt, you know, it was one of those sort of awkward situations where you want to be really supportive in that. But I didn't, uh, that film and I've not seen the film he made in between, uh, Warrior S. I like that. So I'm, I'm sort of, yeah. I'm sort of coming at this from like 10 years, 10 years down the line, but mm. the, it does, it does look, you know, like it's got a, a reasonable budget. Uh, I like the look of Outlawed more. Mm-hmm. I will be very interested to, to see this. Uh, I think the cast looks good. Uh, Stu Bennett, I really liked in uh, Eliminators. So yeah, yeah, quite quite. I, I mean, this is taking forever to come out though. I mean, it's, it's it a bit like Triple Threat. You know, it's like it was. This was. I think there was a. It was like the second two year anniversary when they started shooting recently. So it's um, mm. it's making its it's, it's gradually making its way. But uh, yeah, finally, we should yeah. hopefully see it in September. It will be out in September. Yeah. Okay. I've never, I've never seen wrestling. Never seen wrestling in my life, and it's always been one of those things that you know I feel as though uh, has shunted me away from having friends, <laughs> because that's like you know people who like horror films tend to like wrestling. It, it goes hand in hand. It's a weird kind of symbiotic um, relationship. You know, if you follow people, horror people on Twitter, you'll you'll they'll, they'll ooze mm-hmm. about horror films and they'll go on and say about the WWE and all that kind of thing and I'm watching it and I, I've never seen any wrestling or been exposed to it in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yeah. How we see no evil. That's all how stuff like that yeah. happened, you know, the wrestlers and horror right. and tying the so, together and Yeah, so I feel left out. But uh, just a quick word on vengeance. Um I know nothing to what you people have just spoken about. I know nothing of these people or who they are. But from an outsider's point of view, uh, I do think it, it looks pretty exciting. You know, when, it, when I read the synopsis, I sort of rolled my eyes and thought, mm. but yeah, um, and you're right with the punchline. The punchline on the trailer really kicks it, and it gives it that zing of an ending 
that makes it really, really um, quite exciting proposition. Um, yeah, so our next film is Maria. Um, this is a preliminary teaser for a Filipino revenge film. I must admit, you know, it is very, very brief, but um, what it does show, you know, sort of the level of violence that this woman is committing has me excited. <laughs> Um, you, you gleaned a, a, a much more um, articulate um, summary summation of this trailer than I. But yes, very good. Looking forward to it. <laughs> and yeah, there's nothing yeah, really think, else we can say at this time. <laughs> no, I think it just whets the appetite. I think the fact that they've done this, sort of releasing this, this even I think even probably before they started shooting, kind of trailer is on the back of buy bust and what they did yeah. and they're just trying to build that buzz and you know there's there's you know big things happening in filipinos or martial arts uh filmmaking at the moment and they're just trying to build on that and hopefully we'll see this you know in the next year or two sure uh moving on to a short film this is a um a trailer for a short called the division starring um good old john paul lee um I think this is a. Um, is this to do with the game? I'm not sure. No, it's, it's as far as I know, it's not at all like it's not like a fan film or anything. It's mm. just a, a project that he's directing and sure. he's done with uh, this uh, this other guy, uh, Lauren. Uh, I can't remember his name, but it looks. I think it looks excellent. It does look very good, and I'm I'm quite excited because a friend of mine, uh, Lisa Ronahan, um, is in the trailer very very briefly. Um, I have sort of reached out to her to try and find out what her role actually is, how involved she is, but um, she, she's there um, right at the beginning of the trailer. So, um, yeah, definitely on my radar, this one. Yeah, this looks fine. Um, I must admit, I, I wasn't blown away by it, but it looks, looks pretty tight. Um, and uh, I, I did I did like um, Jailbreak a great deal, lots of film I'd like to revisit, so mm. I'm happy to, to give time to, to anybody that was involved in that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, any, at the moment, anything with John Paul Lee in it is going to be worth talking mm-hmm. about, I think. Yeah. I, still, I still haven't seen any of his stuff yet, so <laughs> I'm really behind. <laughs> but uh, the, the, from the glimpse in this trailer, we say the production values didn't look amazing, the acting didn't look amazing, but the fight scenes look really good. And there's a longer clip of the uh, Hammer fight sequence that he's done that you can also watch online as well. Cool. You really need to see Jailbreak, mate. Full Love. Now, Full Love... Has been around for how many years? He started making it in 2008. Yeah, so at least 10 years we're talking about. This was at one point called The Eagle Path, I believe. Yes, and uh, something else. Yeah, that's, that's how soldiers, turned, soldiers. Yeah, it turned up in Cannes as The Eagle Path. Yeah. Um, it got absolutely um, decimated by the people who saw it. And... Um, you know, this is John... the last... so, come. so this is a, a vanity project that he was he's been involved in on, on and off. So so for the last ten years, trying to knock it into shape. It was 2010 that it was at Cannes, got eviscerated. They did some reshoots in 2012, and then they've kind of been going back and forth and back and forth ever since. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, and this it's... trailer is uh, the second one in uh, not so long. The second one in not so long to drop, uh, so they're really trying to build hype for it coming out in 2019. Am I dropping out? No, you're fine. Um, 
Yeah, so Sorry, I mean, obviously he's more oh. healthy. He's, he's more, um, you know, happy with it now. So you know, he's he's giving it another push. So that's great. Okay, moving on to Manhunt. Now, this is um, this is by a friend of mine called uh, Franklin Career. Um, this is his, I think it's his fourth, or third or fourth film. He works in very low budgets, um, but you know, he, he's he's trying. He's do, he's doing. He, you know, he's quite competent as a director. Um, I, I kind of wish that he'd stay either in front of the camera or behind the camera, and not try and do both. Um, his previous film, Lyco, is very good. Um, uh, this one, you know, it's is playing on the uh, most dangerous game kind of thing. So we'll see how that pans out. This is the best looking trailer that he's done for this film. I've, I've seen some other bits and pieces, <laughs> um, but, but this is the best it's looking so far. I feel like running a million miles away from this, to be honest, because mm. <laughs> I think the production values just really rub me up. I, you know, I like nice production values on, on a low budget film, micro budget film, fair enough, but you know, get the sound mix right and stuff. Uh, this is just, this just looks really, unfortunately, it just looks really amateur. And when I go onto IMDb and I see he's got like a credit list that's like, you know, good seven or 10 films that he's done, mm. uh, I would kind of expect a, a higher quality. Um, so yeah, I was a bit. I, I didn't like the look of this at all, to be honest. This, uh, yeah. this cost him something like around the region of a thousand dollars to make. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Yeah, if this, if this is, I don't know, if this is um, hmm. best trailer he's done so far, I'd like to see the other. No, 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 no. This is um, the best trailer for this film that he's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> versions, but. To be honest, if I discovered this on VHS in 1987, or no, a VHS tape label in 1987, then yes, I, I would, I would be intrigued. But um, I'm not sure if films of this standard have a place in 2018. Uh, probably sounds harsh, but I, I, I think, uh, judging by the the sheer brilliance of, of filmmakers that can't even get their films shown, I, I think this is. Did he just open a coffin? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to the last film on our list this week, and that is Making a Kling. This has Michael J. White in a cowboy hat. Who well, who cannot love that? Um, investigating a well, the mysterious death of Christopher Lloyd, who apparently is a sort of ex-con paedophile, recently out of prison, and people are after his money. Yeah, Michael Jai White trying something a bit different with this one, I think. I mean, he's he's always one of those guys who sort of moved between sort of martial arts action and sort of more uh, more dramatic roles, a bit like what um, some other uh, action stars have done. In this one, it, it seems more much more of a dramatic kind of uh, thriller. Uh, I'm quite intrigued. He almost he, he almost seems miscast, but I kind of buy him uh, at the same time. But I also love the, uh, Mike Starr being in it uh, in quite a big role because I haven't seen him in anything for ages and I, I used to really like him. Sure. Yeah, I love Mike Starr. He's a brilliant actor. One of those guys that just makes a film great no matter how mediocre the film is. But it, this is one of those trailers that I stopped after about 20 seconds because I thought I want to watch the film too much. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that this, is, this is my kind of film. Crime drama, New Jersey director. He's only 31, first feature. But it, it looks really... Uh, Really, really good to be in a sofa. I don't want to spoil too much or get too much of a taste of it. So, so yeah, 20 seconds was enough for me. And this 
looks. Yes, this is on the list. This is on the list. Yeah, I put this in the same sort of category as small crime and small town crime. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the hollow oh, point I'd add to that as well. Yeah. Which one? Which one sorry? Oh, the hollow point, yeah. The hollow point, yeah. Is that the old film with uh, Donald Sutherland? No, it was uh, Ian McShane and Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and that is the coming soon section for this week. Our first review this week is the Humanity Bureau. In the year 2030, if you are not considered to be a productive member of society, you are forcibly relocated to an idyllic-sounding New Eden. Nick Cage plays Noah Cross, one of the Bureau's best agents, who so far has never questioned the ethics of his job. However, he is clued in on the truth and decides to help a young mother and her son escape north, with Bureau agents hot on their tail. Uh, Let's go with Rich. What did you make of the Humanity Bureau? kind of got mixed feelings about it, but for the most part, I feel really good about it. Uh, the, the, the concept is well-worn. Uh, films like, uh, the, you know, sort of the bleak future with the the conflicted uh, sort of law enforcer becoming a protector kind of thing. Makes, uh, I was thinking of films like Equilibrium, Children of Men, Soylent Green, stuff like that. The film is low-budget, but it's quite. It manages its budget quite well for the most part. Um, the Nicholas Cage is properly the lead, which is really good. Uh, he's actually, you know, he is committed to the project. He's around. It's not like um, Left Behind, where he's just sitting in the cockpit yeah. and everything, you know, it's happening around him. The, the say the plot is quite well well worn. I thought it was. Uh, there were a couple of key things. There's there's some big action moments in it. Mm-hmm. That don't sit very well, and it's and it's like they've just been inserted for trailer value. Mm. They've clearly been like shot separately, or, or you know they're, they're so overblown that they just don't fit with the tone of the film. So there was there was that really. So that's kind of a don't go in expecting an action movie, although you do get some of, some of that in there. Uh, and I can't re- I don't really want to say too much because it is a film with twists and mm. the. I wouldn't want to spoil anything really because I do, I do think it is a decent film that, that people will enjoy. It, uh, one of the interesting film things about it is showing that it's quite ambitious. Is they they shot it in like this new format called Barco Escape, where it was a, a three screen uh, enveloping kind of uh, display. So it was made for theatrical release. Yeah. And, and what they did is they had, a, they had a screen at the front and screen and two screens at the sides to try and bring yeah. it into the movie. I don't know how it worked. Uh, obviously, we didn't get to see it, it, you know, presented in that way over here. But yeah. uh, it does see, I, I does sort of speak to the ambition of the film and why Nick Cage was sort of uh, throwing himself into it so much. Mm. Dave, what about you? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to go to off a quick tangent. This being our first Nick Cage film of the evening, um, I just want to ask the question very briefly: Why don't people? Like Nick Cage all that much because um, you know in my world in my video stuff his films are just they, they are despised by most people and is the actor that most people avoid. Does anyone think there's a specific reason for that? Not really, no. Mm. Just may, maybe just the number of films that he puts out. Mm. Yeah, and the quality. I think that there was a, a what culture video like just this week or last week, yeah. which was five great 
performances and five terrible performances. And that kind of really yeah. summed it up. Is that they, they, they summed it up really well, saying that he's just one of those guys. You know what a good actor he can be, but mm. he can also be really terrible. And that, that's the case with, you know, we've, we've seen people like Robert De Niro and Brando yeah. and that all do sort of similar things. But I don't think anyone's done it to the sort of same level as Nicolas yeah. Cage because, you know, Val Kilmer, for example. Um, yeah, yeah. Val Kilmer doesn't manage to do films that are, you know, where he's like the lead character or whatever, where it's a really mm-hmm. great film and then it's a really terrible film, generally, unless it's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, they're all pretty much terrible films. Mm-hmm. Nick Cage <laughs> is sort of in and out of big yeah. movies and making these, you know, lower budget, good, some good, some bad kind of films all over the place. And it's mm-hmm. in part due to some tax problems and stuff that I believe he's got. But he's an interesting actor and I think that's why we're, you know, why we're doing this is that the, he's just a very... It's it's always interest. It's kind of a, a what do you call it, like a, a, a lucky dip, you know, with one of the yeah. films. You know, you don't you, you see it come out. You don't know what it is. You know, it's you know, in terms of marketing and that, you know, it's going to do well. This ranked high in the charts. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Indiana, the USS Indianapolis, you know, did really well last year and stuff. Uh, they're not always hits like Looking Glass and that. The, the the general generally they'll do quite well and they're interesting to see. Um, and this one, I. You know, I was pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to be a real turkey and uh, it was, yeah. I thought it was a, a nice, you know, sort of retelling of some, you know, familiar tropes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting and it's it's really, yeah, you, you've explained that really well to be honest because uh, that is it. And I think it's the degree of frustration that people don't know what they're going to get. They could get a performance of just complete brilliance or they could get something really mediocre um this yeah this does fall in between to be honest i did like the political angle of it i thought that was really um pertinent in today's uh, age uh, and it's interesting to read that when when nick was was interviewed about the film he did sort of um put out the idea that with science fiction um you can really exercise your right to freedom of speech as opposed as opposed to you know a few other genres um, you know, and he mentions um, 1984, for example, and also the uh, the social commentary within District 9. Mm. Um, so he's quite excited about doing this film with it being closely associated with global warming and also its message on immigration as well. Um, so yeah, I did like that. He was also a pro-Trump film, isn't it? Um, uh, I thought it was anti-Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course it's anti-Trump. <laughs> oh, sorry. You were being <laughs> No, the uh, the film. I mean, Nick Cage was uh, there's an there's an interview I think on the disc for this where he's saying mm-hmm. how you know he's he's excited to sort of be doing science fiction again, but this is science fiction with a small s. You know, this is you know there is some there's some rip. You know, I know Mike loves a drone and there's some really <laughs> dodgy dodgy stuff with a there's some bad CGI in this movie basically, yeah. and some of it's the drone. A lot of it's the driving. The driving scenes are terrible. <laughs> yes, they're the yeah. worst. They're the worst driving scenes uh, uh, yeah. that you've seen in a long time, I think. And uh, but the, the the science fiction here is more about ideas. It's a sort of well, a relatable world. It's not a million miles away from anything that sort of we connect with, and that works. Yeah, well, it's, it's only said twenty twelve years in the future. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at its core, I think there's a powerful social commentary with a with a dollar put politically explosive narrative. However, I, I do think there's no denying the fact that this all, all this goodness lies in the middle of a rather 
average sci-fi with, with a clearly limited budget. Um, yeah. I mean, it's had some savage, savage IMDb reviews that really, oh, really yeah. uh, are, you know, way, way off the mark, way off the mark. But to be honest, as, as a late night piece of dystopian fluff, I think it's very palatable indeed. Right, so we don't get crazy Nicolas Cage in this movie. No, which is a, no, we don't. But we do get a bit of a shouty Nicolas Cage yeah. scene, which is always good. Yes. But for the most part, it's, it's being quite thoughtful and stuff. And there's some revelations with his character that, I'll be honest, yeah. I didn't understand at all. It just sort of, I, I think I missed a scene. I was just like, hang on a minute, what? I know what you mean. Um, did you guys follow the plot? Did you? Did you just did about. Did, yeah. did it all make sense? I mean... Another one I want to give a shout out to is uh, to the leading lady on the film, Sarah Lind. Yeah, she's did, great. Yeah, she was I great. didn't recognise her, uh, and I think it's, and I think it's mainly because she changed her hair. But she was the one of the female uh, main female characters in Steven Seagal's TV series True Justice, oh, uh, right. which was released as a series of uh, DCV movies. But mm-hmm. so I've seen quite a lot of her work, but I didn't recognise her at all <laughs> in this. Which I thought was quite funny until the end. It was just like, she just looked so unrecognisable. Uh, I thought she was. Yeah, I thought she did well. Uh, so this is this is one of the the low budget kind of movies where it's like Nicolas Cage and who are all these people around him? The guy mm-hmm. play, the guy playing the villain, who's basically the Tay Diggs from Equilibrium to Christian Bale mm-hmm. main character, uh, yeah. kind of pursuing him. He was just kind of he wasn't strong enough. I didn't think to be no, no, no. sort of the nemesis. Hmm. character, uh, Mr. Smith from Matrix would be another sort of example, but hmm. yeah, that was, that was a kind of a weak link, and there's some inter- but there's some interesting support characters, so I say I liked it overall. Hmm. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, you're, not, it... you're, not, you're, not, you're not sure, Mike, you seem a bit, hmm. I got through it. Are you it's, on it's, the fence? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more or less on the fence. I mean, uh, I know we're not really going to talk about the ending, um, but that sort of um, uh, I thought it was a bit silly, to be quite honest. There's something that happens at the end where you're thinking, well, why did they wait? Is all I'll say. But, uh, there you <laughs> go. Um, other than that, yeah, it, it was okay. How are we going to score it? I'm going to give it seven. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Um... Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it, it's a five. It's a five for me, but it, it's, it's a strong five. You know, it's a good five. It's a reliable five. It's not a, a 50-55. It's a good five. Five. Yeah. I've, I'm more inclined to um, join Dave down in his fives than I am with you on your seven. Well, um, my I'm chart... Split the difference. I'm going to split the difference with a six. Okay. My rap, my... My chart and my ranking system is a bit is a bit weird. Uh, so for a set, I have a very sort of specific criteria. So for number seven, basically means admirable, enjoyable, but doesn't always inspire to rewatch. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why my, that's what my number seven means. Okay, what the hell does the rest of it mean then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll find out later. Mm. Oh. Can our next review is 211. In this one, Officer Mike Chandler is days away from retiring from the police force when he is asked to conduct a ride-along of a young student called Kenny. What should have been a routine day turns into a nightmare when they stumble upon a quartet of heavily armed bank robbers. 
Okay, uh, this is purportedly based on a true story, um, a true incident. It is the most violent shootout that any police force has been involved in. Um, uh, it comes across for me, I mean, there is some nice little bits of action and things, but there's also sort of a lot of Hallmark movie of the week staples going on in here. Uh, let's go with Dave first this time. Um, it's awful, quite frankly. It's quite <laughs> the worst that's probably the worst Nicolas Cage film I've seen in, in 20 years. Uh, it is. It's diabolical. There is no saving grace with this. There is no redeeming features. There is nothing to possibly recommend about this film. Um, it does have an interesting background. Uh, the director, York Alec Shackleton, is a descendant of uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton, uh-huh. uh, which is... which I'm is sure be so proud. <laughs> He would be, he would be. So that's pretty much as interesting as as it gets, folks, unfortunately. Um, His father, uh, Richard uh, Shackleton, wrote for Lenny Bruce, the great comedian. Uh, And, of course, Isaac Florentine is producing, which is, well, he must be regretting. Um, But, yeah, the whole whole thing baffled me from the get-go, because on the opening credits, you've Mm -hmm. got, you know, based on a script by York Alex Shackleton. I think, well, why is it based on a script by the director? Why is the director? What does that mean? And then the script is credit. That's a very weird credit to have, isn't it? The script is especially in your own film. Well, exactly. It doesn't make sense. But the script is credited to John Rebus. On IMDb, it's credited to it's credited to the director. But on the film itself, it's credited to John Rebus. There is no John Rebus. The only John Rebus is from Ian Rankin book, and was portrayed (laughs) by the the, um, James Hannah. Was it John Hannah on on TV? there is no John Reaper, so who, why put a pseudonym in for a, a guy that doesn't exist? So that was one thing that just, just irritated me from the start. It's just so bad that the set, the soundstage it's on, it, it is, it looks like a soundstage in a, in a fifties film. It's so obvious it's a soundstage. There is no, no reality to the film. Um, all supporting characters are, are just, they're just holograms. They have no substance whatsoever. Uh, they're, ba- they're badly dubbed. They're badly dubbed holograms. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Cage. They, well, yeah. They, they do actually have substance, but that substance is a finger down your throat. <laughs> but I don't know if Cage's ankle is the problem in this. He did break his ankle halfway, no, a very uh, short way into filming, mm. which meant the filming had to be postponed for six weeks. So whether this this had any knock-on effect with the quality of the movie, I don't know. But considering it comes from New Image, who are a great company and have yeah. made some rip-roaring and action. Hence the uh, Florentine. Uh, oh, exactly, yeah. So they've made some amazing films over the last two, two, three decades. But but this. It's possibly the worst film I've seen by them. It's it's astonishingly awful. That doesn't mean I was bored at any point because I wasn't it with Nick Cage. So <laughs> I will happily watch Nick Cage sit on the toilet for you know ninety minutes. But this, if, this, if he was this, in it, <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, preferably. Well, no, not preferably. No, I don't mean like I want to see Nick Cage on the toilet. But then again, um, <laughs> no. I, the one thing though, the one thing that really did baffle me. And I know like, we want to want to do too many spoilers, but I think with this film, it doesn't really... No, no, this one we can spoil the fuck out of. Yeah, I think we can. It's just the ending. The end scene. Oh, really, that was really, just so weird and tacked on, it, wasn't it? It was very weird. So I think that must have been a reshoot for some degree, because I don't think Nick Cage is actually in that scene. No, it's that, that weird way to black, isn't it? Yeah, you see him walk into the house, and then you see the, the family there on the right-hand side, mm. but they're never in the same scene together. And oh. I think 
cage mm-hmm. is, is, is like that against the green screen mm-hmm. in that scene. It was a weird tacked on ending that just sort of. Uh, it was so like, weird. I, I was beginning to wonder if everyone had died. <laughs> and, it, and it was, was you know, was, you know, and he was it imagining was very, all of them. It was, was very serial. It was very, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could have had that sort of highway to heaven, and you could see, um, you know, Michael Landon pop up at some point. Yeah. Well, it's like they they start to fade to black before mm-hmm. you could see the actor's face walking towards. Because yes. It's probably not Nicolas Cage. Correct. Because yeah. all the scenes with him are like extreme close-ups in his face. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a very weird, very weird thing. No, so yeah, that's me anyway. Yeah. So, Rich, before we get into what you actually think about the film, I just want to talk about the beginning because I got some serious deja vu watching that opening sequence. Remember that film we did called the The Apocalypse Code? Yes. It yes. starts in almost exactly the same way. Doesn't Do you know what? It? I thought of exactly the same thing. I thought I'd put it in the wrong film. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, very strange. But um, overall, what are your thoughts? Well, okay. So it's. I was interested at first because it comes up with the logo Millennium Media, and mm. I was like, Millennium Media. Have they changed the name of the company? Because it was. It's always usually Millennium Films, uh, and I'm. I'm. I'm interested in the company and stuff. So, and so I've got goodwill. I'm there. I'm interested. And then the film starts. Nicholas, you know, some quite cool graphics and, and that, and it says Nicholas Cage. And then it cuts to these these two actors, uh, one's on the computer and the other's the sort of boss man standing behind. And he just looks really mid, not the right sort of actor, you know, not an experienced actor, not even, you know, the correct actor. He just looked wrong for the movie. And I was get, and I started to get some bad vibes and then, you know, everything that unfolds and his performance, whatever, and I'm still getting those bad vibes. The This is a Nicolas Cage movie, so you're waiting for Nicolas Cage. Uh, and I waited, and okay, and then and he appeared at ten minutes. He appeared at ten minutes to drive his car a little bit, sort of sneer at the screen, and then he was gone again. Mm. Uh, uh, no dialogue, and then he reappears very briefly, seventeen minutes in, and then about uh, again just very briefly, and then about twenty minutes. I think he actually says something, uh, and I don't think I've experienced that kind of. Th- I mean. I'm sure there are other examples, but the thing I always think of is uh, Steven Seagal film Submerged with, Ant- yeah. with uh, Anthony Hickox directed, where Seagal literally turns up about 15, 20 minutes into the movie. And there's lots of other characters going on and uh, other Steven Seagal movies like Dangerous Man and that, where the main actor is not around. So they've just made it a massive ensemble with loads of characters. And this film's just got so many supporting characters, it's ridiculous. And they've all got their own sort of story and motivations. Yeah. And it's like they're trying to make up for the fact that Nicolas Cage isn't there. <laughs> they, they haven't got, they couldn't afford him or something. I don't know. But he's barely in it, which is really disappointing. And, yeah. uh, and I agree with all the other points that have been raised, the production quality. It did look like it was, I mean, it was shot at the New Boyana Studios in Bulgaria, which is where a lot of uh, mm-hmm. millennium films and new image make their stuff. They even used it as a pretend town in uh, uh, the, the Expendables 2, where it was like mm. a training ground kind of environment mm. and stuff. Mm. But the, they make a lot of stuff there. But this, in this case, it was really obvious. But the giveaway was seeing some of the familiar Bulgarian actors from, like the guy who run, the guy who owns the bank, or not owns, sorry, the manager of the bank. Mm. Yeah, he, get, he gets like a big scene where he's talking to his other half and he's like, oh, it's just another day, you know, and, and then we're going to do this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so it's like, you might as well put on a red shirt. 
you know. Yeah. And the and I was like, hang on a minute, I know this actor, and that it's not his voice. <laughs> and then there were loads of other actors with, with, which it was like it. And this movie is only eighty minutes long. I think it's about yeah, know, it's just about that. It and felt I found a lot it such a slog. And it's yeah. like, oh, come on. And it was in in concept, it's really interesting. I mean, the the special forces guys and stuff. And I was thinking of films like Renegades, we watched recently. Mm. This is like a bad guys version of that. They could have been really interesting characters, but none of them were engaging or in, interesting. No. It, it, no. it was just the only, really... The only, yeah, the only yeah. thing going for it was the level of brutality they were sort of meeting out, basically. Yeah, I mean, they were not, you know, they were nasty guys, you know, blowing people up and all sorts of, you know, they had no conscience. But there was no context or anything. It was just... No, not really. They were just, not, yeah. not even that Mossad agent who kept sort of turning up and... Didn't need to be there. Around. None of these characters needed to be there. All the all the supporting officers and stuff who have their little scenes of character development and stuff. I mean, character development is good, but in this case, it wasn't really character development. It was just time wasting. It was filler. What about that? What about that officer who you know they're sort of ragging on, saying he's the worst shot in the in the department, and they're still handing him a gun to go out and sort of shoot the <laughs> bad guys. Absolutely. Ridiculous. What do you think of the black kid? What do you think of the black kid? Yeah, I, I thought he was all right actually. No, but he was fine as an actor. But the whole. Um... The whole thread, it just seems so baffling yeah. and, and also a little bit racially insensitive. I mean, this yeah, poor black kid who was being bullied to death, being forced to drive in a, in a you know, a ride along with, two, car. with yeah. two white yeah, cops. That, that'll learn him, yeah. Um, well, he was supposed seemed... to be, he was supposed to be the member of the audience that we can, you know, the person who can be sympathised with, who's who's there and we're, we're, you know, he's the person, the relatable person who's at risk uh, and you know, yeah, I just didn't go for it. He, his again, they sort of touched on some character development, but it didn't really go anywhere. So he never really got an understanding of who he was. Yeah. It was just kind of he was a, just this awkward, awkward kid. It was to me, it was sort of implied that maybe he was autistic or something, but it never really went there. And yeah, just, none of it, none of it worked. I didn't think yeah. it was really, it was really, um, really a shame. And it's really annoying because if, if the film had been and Nicolas Cage. It would be fine, but they're setting it up as a starring vehicle. So you're thinking, oh, okay, we're in Bruce Willis territory again, you know, where he's, you know, it's, it's top credited, but we're barely going to see him, and we're being <laughs> duped, and it's, yeah. really, uh, and I, I get really annoyed by that. Yeah, scores on the doors. Well, this was a hard one for me to score because uh, my rating system is really weird. But uh, so, my, in terms of my rating system, it comes out at a four. Uh, or maybe even a three, actually. And no, I'm going to go three on my rating, which is technically accomplished, but just not very interesting, engaging, or enjoyable. I'd, I'd like the way you have very clear, concise uh, descriptions for your mocking system. <laughs> um, it's very impressive. I'm going to go with a two. Uh, it was diabolical. It was awful. Uh, it was instantly forgettable. But I will be keeping it as part of my Nicolas Cage connection. And one evening when I someone presents me with a big bottle of gin, I'll probably revisit it. Um, and, um, yeah, and hate myself a little bit more. This could be uh, a contender for a um, drunken commentary at some point, I think. Um, yeah, I, I ended up skipping quite a bit. Um, oh. So, oh. Did, did his partner survive or not? Uh, I don't want to give it away. <laughs> Swine. Anyway. Um, I'm going to give this one a four. Oh, I have to say one thing about this. Um, the poster is great. 
Yeah. Mm. I mean, the, mm. the poster sold it. You know, the, the, it's a, it's one of the best posters of the year, yeah. I think. Uh, and the cover, you know, they've used exactly the same poster on the cover in the UK. So no wonder, you know, it's it's um it's going to do well. I mean, it, it, it came number two, as we said. You know, no wonder. But uh, yeah, completely missold. Mm. Yeah. Okay, our third and final film this week is Mom and Dad. In this one, a virus invades a typical suburb, compelling parents to murder their own children. Over to you, Rich. Right. So, uh, Mum and Dad is a film from Brian Taylor, who many people will uh, be familiar with from Crank and stuff. And the films, uh, basically, the films he's made with Mark Nebeldine. He's a bit of uh, they're a bit uh, Marmite. They also did films like Gamer, which uh, Ooh. yeah, a lot of us really didn't like. Uh, I was excited about this because I thought the concept looked really interesting and the you know, I, I am interested in the director. I didn't see the previous film that he made with Nicolas Cage, which was uh, Ghost Rider 2, as it were, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. So I wasn't sure what to expect in terms from that. But I really liked it a lot. It's um, it's about a, it's only about 80 minutes long, but it's quite brisk. It's not a Nicolas Cage starring movie. Uh, in the only film sort of, that we've looked at this week that he really is a sort of the central character in is, is the Humanity Bureau. But he's very he's a very significant character in this whose, whose importance becomes more as the film progresses. Uh, a bit like some of the other films we've seen him in, you know, it's very derivative. We've kind of so the signal was a mm. film that really sort of jumped mm. into to my mind. A cell as well. The the um, uh, I've not seen the movie, but Stephen King's Cell sort of touched on sort of a similar thing. And then you've got stuff like George Romero's The Crazies. Uh, in terms of the family dynamic, there's The Children. I think it was the, the British horror movie about kids starting to kill their parents. Mm. And that. So it's it's very, very familiar stuff, but it's kind of takes it to a place that it's not really been before. And I don't mind the familiarity. I think it's quite slick, quite stylish. Dawn of the Dead, uh, Zack Snyder's version was sort of front and centre for me as well, uh, and it's a it's a family sort of set up. Uh, the kids uh, are the main characters, really, but the, they were good. I liked them. They, they weren't irritating or anything, even though they're not particularly. You know, at least one of them is not particularly likable at the start. Um, yeah, I'll pop in. Uh, I, I'm sort of still forming some of my thoughts on on the film, but uh, I think overall, uh, I thought it was excellent. Dave. Yeah, it was. It was truly, truly excellent. I'm looking at my notes here and I've got the word glorious put four times, which I can really do with using other words. But still, I mean, if anyone gets a DVD or Blu-ray of this, you can switch over to the Q&A after you've seen the movie. And there's a brilliant Q&A with, uh, with, with Brian, um, the director and Nick and Summer Blair and, and uh, one other supporting character as well. And, Nick, Cage is, um, Nick Cage is, is most Nick Cagey in that bit. Oh, without doubt, yeah. But it's he, like really hyper. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, you can see the enthusiasm from yeah. not only the crowd, but also the, the 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 you know the cast and crew on stage, and you can see just how proud they are of the film. I mean, Nick Cage himself said it's the proudest he's been of a film for a decade, which goes to show you one how much shit he's done, and also two, um, you know, how good this film is compared to the other films he's done over the last uh, ten years. Um, Brian Taylor himself said that. The film's biggest influence was Night of the Living Dead. So it's interesting that, um, that, that Rich mentions the crazies there. Cause I do think there's a lot of Romero 
in this film, especially with the, with the social commentary, for example, um, well, Nick himself wanted to, was keen on channeling uh, Jack Nicholson uh, for his role uh, from The Shining. Um, in, in creating his character, which I, th- I think he, he did to some degree, but mm. but generally speaking, I, I thought, yeah, this this is probably the, the best Nick Cage film I've seen for a long, long time. Every every bit of it just appealed to me from that lush opening credit sequence with the sort of power ballad going on in the background. There you got Daniel Pearl, Daniel Pearl as director of photography, who, who of course, if you know your your stuff, you'll know his his career began with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's amazing, just just a complete. I mean, obviously, it has a fairly sedate beginning, but the level of unhinged madness in which it descends to is just oh, it's 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 almost orgasmic. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. I also, um, if you're a comic book geek, you will have seen a great cameo from from uh, Graham Morrison, the, the awesome comic book creator as well. Um, but yeah, I mean. For the first 35 minutes, we have minimal, minimal cage here, uh, almost zero. But after that, we, we get, we get prime Nick, including possibly the best sequence I've seen him in, in quite some time, which is mm. the, uh, the scene involving the pool table oh. where he, uh, starts to yeah. sing the hokey cokey, which was his <laughs> idea. That was his idea. That was his uh, brainwave. Mm. Um, and that just, that's just perfection, to be honest. It's, ah. Uh, Amazing, and of course, Lance, Lance Henriksen crops up at the end in a very, very short little cameo, but one that is very, very memorable for so many reasons. Now, did uh, you so feel yeah. that? Did you feel that it was a shame that they spoiled that because he appears in the opening credits, and I just thought that that would have been so great if they um, had kept it a secret. I only have a seven-second memory, so to be honest, it didn't bother me because I forgot he was in the film by the time <laughs> he came around. So it didn't really bug me, but. Yeah, I guess those little things being kept a secret can add to the value of the film. So yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. But for me, I, I guess it didn't, didn't, didn't spoil it to any degree. Um, but yeah, I, I love the violence and I thought it was, um, it, it was poetic and, um, yeah, so masochistic. I love that. I'm, I'm going to buy yeah. a, a copy for myself, um, you know, um, outside of work just so I can enjoy it again. Yeah, um, when I heard this was Brian Taylor of Neville Dean and Taylor, I was seriously put off. Um, and I probably, I don't, I don't know if I would have watched this if it hadn't been for this particular episode of, of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved this so much. I, I, I rented it from Amazon. I watched it in the morning yesterday. Um, you know, so I can prepare notes and things. I loved it so much, I actually watched it again in the evening with my wife. Um, mm. So I sat her down and watched it, you know, because it was that good, basically. Um, yeah, the editing in this is absolutely mm. so good. You know, the flashbacks, um, mm. the way they're edited in are just absolutely per- perfect. Yeah. Um, the choice of music, for example, uh, the use of um, rock sets, um mm. Uh, a song, uh, also, which one is it? It should have been love or something. Must have, must have been love. It must have been love. Yeah, um, during the, um, the the sequence of the baby. Ah, amazing. You know, showing his, you know, real sort of dark humor, basically. Um, yeah, I, I I loved when Lance Henriksen turns up. You know, the lack of self awareness 
that um, people mm. have. You know, it's like well, because I mean, there's a, there's a, so many brilliant scenes like um, you know in that maternity ward when you got all the fathers staring at the babies, and it's just incredibly menacing. You know, because um, of what's happening. Um, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, the, the guy the, the guy who played the boyfriend as well. I thought he was really good. Uh, really enjoyed him. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's that mid, yeah. mid that midlife crisis meltdown that he has in the basement, which is you know it's it's mm. pretty, pretty mm. close to the knuckle. I think I think you know he, he speaks a lot of home truths there. To be quite yeah. honest, um, I'm sure you, it'll resonate with you, Rich, as yeah. well. I know you you know you sort of go back to think back to your twenties, you know, yeah. and, and they think. Yeah, I'm probably not the same guy that I was then. Well, I think. And... Well, I think. I mean, in I think that's one of the clever things about the film because it kind of you kind of think about it afterwards. Some some of the scenes that you're watching, you don't necessarily feel their importance at the time, mm. but then you realise mm. that about what is happening, it's a, it's a it's like a signal or virus or something that is mm. turning parents homicidal against their children, against only their children, yeah. and we get these portraits built up of uh, the lives and the sort of regrets and the feelings of sort of impotence and that, that um, Nicholas Cage's character and his wife, uh, Selma Blair's characters, where they are and how that is playing into the effect of the influence that mm. the, that, that the, that whatever is happening is brought forth um, and sort of fed by these repressed feelings uh, that if it wasn't for these feelings, that maybe it wouldn't be happening. That's what yeah. that's what I was taking away from it. That it's a, that it's an inner sort of rage and sort of re, you know almost a regret of the decisions that they've made and you know of yes. becoming parents that has made them that you know and they don't all, they don't know that it just kind of happens and it's happened you know at the end of the movie they're sort of acting like it's mm. just oh I'm going to uh, I'm just going to go and get this honey kind of thing and you know yeah. set this. Thing up to, to sort of kill the kids and it's just like they're not even thinking of, you know they're just so lost in, mm. in the madness uh, I just thought that was very cleverly done yeah I mean that, that's certainly true about um, Nick Cage and Selma Blair's characters but you couldn't really sort of say that about the you know the new new fathers and, and mothers you know who, who also affects I I, well I don't know about that I mean I, I say I know people who are you know really uh, quite scared about you know impending Parenthood uh, and yeah. the, the the feel the the sense of what is being left behind in terms of you know it's not necessarily about what's going to happen it's like the there's the the scene with some of the, the, probably the most powerful horror scene in the movie because it it's, it is a t film that shifts tones now but there is yeah. some proper horror I mean I'm surprised actually it was only a 15 they could have gone a lot further I know yeah but yeah. the it's quite restrained really which is surprising considering the director but the that scene is like, you know, oh, don't worry about the pain and everything. As soon as you give birth, you know, it will oh, yeah, go yeah. away and it will be a new thing and stuff. And it's like, it kind of is for a moment, but then the TV changes or whatever and there's a signal and uh, whatever whatever's going on, things changed dramatically. Uh, and I love that. And there's all the there's all the kind of usual things you expect in a movie like this, like the speculation on the television. Why is this happening? There's some weird stuff going on. It could be happening in the whole world. We just don't know. Uh, but then, as the film develops, the, the sort of it starts out on a big canvas and it just sort of narrows down. So at the end of the movie, you're in the house; those are the characters you're with, and you're watching it unfold for them. 
Yes, and then it turns Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we get crazy Nicholas Cage in a in a in a way that we've not seen in either of the other two uh, movies that we talked right. about. This one was, for uh, full disclosure, this was theatrically released, uh, but it was only in like a I think a hundred and something cinemas. It took about sixty five thousand on its opening weekend. Mm. It's very swiftly disappeared. This 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 is a film that's going to thrive on uh, DVD and, and video and you know, streaming formats and stuff. People are going to really start to find it there, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be owning a copy as soon as I move house, basically. But, um, so, scores on the doors for this. Oh, oh just one other thing. Um, I think this also um, bodes well for Mandy um, as far as sort of Cage goes. Oh, without doubt. Yeah, this is an appetizer for Mandy, yeah, I think. I think so, yeah. This goes very much hand in hand with Mayhem as well. Um, the two films would make a very good. Well, that, yeah, together. that was in my notes. That was in my notes. I just watched Mayhem, literally the mm. film before in that day, and I'm watching this straight after. I thought, wow, these would be paired uh, superbly, wouldn't they? Mm. Absolutely. Scores on the doors. I'm going to jump straight in. I, um, as I said, I watched this twice in one day. I'm looking forward to getting hold of a copy. I'm giving this an eight. I'm giving it an eight as well. I'm giving it an eight as well. Genius. Go out and see this film and don't worry about my crap voice. Okay, guys, so we've watched three Nicolas Cage films this week. Um, just sort of let's have a little recap about sort of what he's been up to and what he's got on his plate coming out. Um, overall... On the, on the strength of these three films, um, how do you think Nick Cage is doing? Let's go, Rich. I think he's doing really well. I think he just needs to sort of try and avoid the projects like 211 that, you know, just exploiting his star power, really. You know, he, he knows he's, you know, he knows he's got value, uh, but he shouldn't just take anything that comes his way. I know he's got his mixture of sort of passion projects and the, the sort of things he really throws himself into. Like, I think Mandy is probably going to be one of those uh, yeah. films like Joe. We've seen him in. Uh, but then, you know, there's been other stuff like we what uh, I don't know if we did a proper review on the show, but like Vengeance, a love story, for example. Yeah. Where he was he was pr promoted as the main star, but he really wasn't. And the same with 211, same situation. USS Indianapolis to a certain extent. But um, the, you know, when he does films like Mom and Dad, uh, and even you, even you know rubbish like Army of One, for example. You know he's he, it, it's not a good movie, but he's he's giving it all, uh, and you know that's I like to see that. Uh, it's, he's done a couple of films with Paul Schrader. Uh, I didn't particularly yeah, love. Dog Eat Dog was weird. Dog Eat Dog was really good. Dying of the Light um, is a bit apparently uh, Schrader disowned that one, but mm. the I thought that was quite interesting. And he's done some other. You know, some of the other stuff I didn't, you know, didn't think much of, like Pay the Ghost and The Runner. Uh, I want to see The Trust. That's on Amazon. And yeah, um, I've seen that. The Frozen Ground, I still want to see. And Joe. There's, there's a lot to catch up on, but the, uh, for me, but, you know, he's done rubbish like Stolen. Uh, and I know people didn't like The Ghost Rider. I didn't see that. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if he can, if he can keep making films with interesting, you know, interesting stories and that, that that push him and don't just uh you know just leave him 
you know, high, you know, leave his viewers high and dry, basically, because we want to see Nick Cage, you know, whatever. So we've got a few films coming out. We don't know which ones are going to be yeah. uh, DTV some, or cinema releases. But uh, can you give us a rundown on those, Mike? Well, let's start with Between Worlds. Um, this sounds, it sounds like a Christian movie, to be quite honest. It's one of those. Um, if He plays Joe, a down on his luck truck driver, haunted by the memory of deceased wife and child. He meets a woman called Julie, played by Franco Patent. Um, a spiritually gifted woman who enlists Joe in a desperate effort to find the lost soul of her comatose daughter. What the hell? <laughs> um, very strange one, that. I think it's, I mean, the, the fact that it's Frank, Frank Patent has got um, potential for me. Yeah. Usually mm-hmm. it's quite interesting projects. So... Uh, the um, next one, sorry, the one I'm really interested in is this thing called Primal, because I, I read about this a while ago. It's set on a um, a shipping freighter where a big game hunter has um, put loads of like endangered, dangerous animals, um, and there's also um, there's some sort of assassin on board as well, <laughs> um, and and he he lets loose all the um, the animals in order to try and. Uh, Get hold of a um, a political prisoner that's on the boat as well. Okay, this sounds amazing. This sounds like snakes on a plane. It does, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah, exotic animals on a, on a boat, basically. So yeah, so I'm very excited to see that. Uh, Running with the devil um, doesn't sound very much. An international drug kingpin sends two of his highly regarded assassins to investigate why shipments have been hijacked and overcut. But the cast looks excellent. Nicholas Cage, Cole Hauser, Lawrence Fishburne, Barry Pepper. Um, I'd be very interested to see how they come together in that one. And more. We've got Clifton Collins Jr., Peter Fascinelli, uh, and Adam Goldberg. I don't know if I mentioned him. But yeah, yeah loads of people in this film. All, all with sort of nicknames, which is interesting. Yeah. No, sort of, no sort of character names. So a bit of a Reservoir Dogs kind of thing. Yeah, not always the best. But um, I'm just saying... Um, he hasn't really sort of directed anything before. Um, this guy Jason Cable or Cabale, but um, yeah, I mean the cast alone makes that one interesting. Uh, after that, he's got a score to settle. An ex enforcer for a local crime syndicate has vowed to enact retribution on his mob bosses after 22 years of wrongful imprisonment. Yes, that's the sort of thing I'd love to see. Um, yeah, cast isn't jumping out of me apart from Benjamin Bratt. Where's he been for the last ten years? Oh, he sort of—I think he does quite a few like TV bits and, and supporting yeah. role kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the last big role I think always think of is Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So director Sean Q has mostly been involved in sort of TV work before. Okay, and uh, finally, there is Prisoners of the Ghostland. A notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted girl who has mysteriously disappeared. This, um, of all the films, I'm really, really interested in because it's directed by Sion Sono. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, guys, but um, he did an absolutely superb film called um, Love Exposure. Which is four mm. hours. Four long. hours. Mm. Four hours long. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, among other films as well. Um, yeah, yeah, Coldfish as well. Um, 
he's, he's a brilliant director. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I've no idea what this is going to be like, but it's going to be amazing to see, I think. Uh, Nick Cage and Sion Sono, fuck me. Sion Sono's uh, new film just got released in a few weeks back called Anti-Porno. All right. Um, Anti-Porno, Sion uh, recent film just got released uh, by Third Window a few weeks back, and uh, I'm, I'm late picking it up, but it looks amazing. It's got a Blu-ray release only, but I can't wait to awesome. see that. Yeah, I'll have to put that on my list. So, Dave, how are you feeling about Nicolas Cage? Um, I'm I'm feeling aroused (laughs) by Nicolas Cage because that's what he does does to me. Um, I think he's amazing. I really, really do. Um, He he makes an average of five films a year. One of those will be amazing. Two will be very good. And and two will be mediocre. And it's just about picking those out. and that's it, really. I revisited a couple of his this week. I had a look at The Frozen Ground again, which I'm a big fan of. I do like his, his pairing up with Cusack uh, there. I think that works really well. And I uh, had a look at Drive Angry again, which I just can't help going back to. I just think it's if, if your addiction is Nick Cage, then, then Drive Angry is the drug that you need to take. I can't believe uh, I still haven't seen that movie. Oh, sitting, sitting on that uh, it's just amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I needed to recheck that. Is it? Out. Yeah, it's sure? on Netflix. It? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you oh, might wow. have to yeah, dig a bit for it, but yeah, it's definitely there. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. But yeah, I mean, he will always be, if, if I if I do a, um, a month's order in advance and I see his film in, that will be the film I, I, I will look forward to the most because I don't know what it is. There is just something about him and something about the way he acts in a movie that just compels me. It just makes me really, really happy. Okay, it's time for the last part of the show, so it's down to me, Dave and Rich, to get on with the washing up. And we're going to kick off this week with Carnivore, Werewolf of London. Um, I I checked out the trailer for this, um, and I think it's, um, it's doing Dog Soldiers a bit of a disservice to say that it's very similar to Dog Soldiers with civilians. <laughs> That's a terrible quote. Oh, it is a yeah. That's the best they've got. That's pretty bad. Um, this, you know, this looks very low budget, basically. I'm, you know, and I'm not against that at all. Um, but I just haven't had a chance to see it at the moment. How about you guys? I, I very much doubt they film anywhere near the centre of London on this. Mm. I don't know. The, no. um, didn't we see a film made by the same director, uh, uh, like that was released? It was made after this, but released before. I can't remember what the name of the director is, but I've got a feeling we've either looked at the trailer or looked at the film from this guy, because that was when I first came across this uh, trailer, which didn't, you know, it didn't do much for me. I wasn't, I'm not particularly... Oh, Night of the Damned. Ah. Was that the same one? All right. Now that makes sense, because, um, yes. yeah, the, the main actor's the same guy. Ah. Uh, ben Lloyd Holmes, um, the bald guy. Yeah, so, that, that makes sense. Yeah, Simon yeah. Wells, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not against watching it, but um, again, it's the marketing guys, I think. Um, I quite like the cover, though. Yeah, the cover's pretty cool. Um, I'll be surprised, you know, it'd be interesting to see what sort of um, makeup effects they actually end up with in this. Okay, moving on to a film called Convergence. Um, I really like this. This is by a friend of mine, actually, called Drew Hall. 
uh, stars um, Clayne Clawford from, or the erstwhile director um, actor from uh, the Lethal Weapon TV series, and also Ethan Embry, who was in the brilliant Devil's Candy, and also appears on the Netflix series um, Grace and Frankie. Um, I really like this. It's about a um, sort of FBI kind of guy who basically. Let's, let's face it, he gets killed and sort of ends up in sort of uh, purgatory along with the bomber he was he was chasing. Um, yeah, I'm not going to beat you around the bush. Everyone knows that from the beginning of the film. Um, Dave, what did you think of this? Have you seen it? Yeah, I can get into it. Um, so I'm going to go back to it because I love Ethan Embry a great deal. Um, but, but, but I just, yeah, I wasn't in the mood for this. I, I tried to get it through I did some DTV cramming at the start of the week just to get through the week's releases but yeah just just couldn't get into it so um, I read I read what you had to say about it and I thought hmm okay that gives me the um, the impetus to go back and revisit it but yeah. at the time I must admit first 20 30 minutes I, I didn't it did nothing to grab me and um, and uh, you know get me excited so I went yeah. and saw the William Friedkin film instead which is which is very good. <laughs> Dave, can I just go off tangent for a second? Um, and I apologise if I've asked this before, but do you know why Ethan Embry changed his name from Ethan Randall? Oh, did he? Yeah, because when he was a when he was a child star, he was always Ethan Randall. When he was doing mm. things like um, Dutch and uh, uh, can't can't uh, can't hardly wait and, and stuff, which I although he might change his name by then, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, he did a, a, a killer robot movie called Evolver, which is like a personal favourite. Oh, that was good, that. yeah. yeah. And uh, the and then, yeah, and then suddenly he's Ethan Embry, and I just, I just never kind of understood why he did that. I don't know if he was trying to re-establish himself as a mature actor or something, I don't know. But... I do not know. I do not know. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll continue my Google search to try and find out. Yeah. I, I recommend this one anyway. It's got a great twist in it. And it's got Michael T. Michael T. Uh, Williams in it. Yeah, yeah. I really like, and you don't yeah. see around. I know he does. I think he does a lot of TV, but I, I've, I've enjoyed. He did like Species or Species Two or something, and, and some other bits and bobs. Uh, I think did did he do The Mist? Did, was he in the TV Mist? series or the no film? no the film was he in that film? No, I think no. But he's I've, I've seen him around. I, I did think I do think he's a good actor. who's not seen. You know enough as as he perhaps should be. So I, I'm curious about this because you because you sort of uh, you're so enthusiastic about it. Like uh, yeah. I'm quite interested. So. I didn't go that quite. Didn't think that far. Basically, um, he he, cha- he changed his name to be closer to his grandfather. Ah, it's the official yeah. line. So take from that as you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, moving on to Daphne and Velma original movie. It says um, this is like a prequel to the um, Scooby Doo. Um, okay, so you know I've got a strong affinity with the, with the Scooby Doo um, cartoons, especially the original seventies ones. Um, even even when they sort of rebooted the um, uh, as a sort of film, not not the not the live action film, but when they did an animated film the the, the first time around, it was actually really good. Um, believe it or not, this is excellent. Um, I really like this. Um, they, they they handle the characters really well. They handle the, you know, the nods to the series really well. They don't overplay it. There's a good sort of sequence where they, they, you know, the chase sequence sort of thing, which they do really well. Um, the characters are Daphne and Velma. You know, they they, they stick to that. Um, 
and it actually really works. You know, this the the sort of the threat isn't too threatening. It's so, you know, it's not going to scare anyone. But um, yeah, it, I, I think it works really well. I'd like to see a sequel or or, or you know the next stage basically. That's Ooh. very interesting to hear because I was I was expecting it was going to you know you know what these DTV spin-offs mm. sequels are usually you know we're talking like a Mean Girls two but compared to a Mean Girls one kind of thing although I, you know I'm judging that on having never seen Mean Girls two but you you know you know what I'm getting at you, mm. you think you think of a poor you think of a poor quality teen movie rather than a high quality one so it's actually quite good to hear that this is a, a you know better than I, than I would have yeah. expected. And it's only five ninety nine. Bargain. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty short. I think it's only like seventy minutes or something. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to stay. It's welcome. It, it's um, yeah, very well done. Okay, I'm really intrigued by our next one. Um, I'm hoping one of you two guys has seen this. I think it we've both seen Dark, it. Dark Crimes with Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. Dave, I, do you want to go first? I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it at all. I just didn't think it. It fitted. Uh, Jim Carrey was fine, but his character just just was. I thought it was poorly written. I thought it was very uh, downbeat, very depressing, very lifeless, and it just didn't have a an interesting enough storyline just uh, to 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 bring me into it. I didn't like it at all. Really didn't like it. I think critics agreed with you because I think it got a, it's a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes apparently mm. from from uh, what I've heard on a on a recent uh, video that was uh, on YouTube was. Uh, it was highlighted in this was made back in 2015 but it's taken a, taken its time to get released um i was very intrigued about this when i because this would was not a film i was aware of at all it's all it's set in poland shot in poland shot in Krakow in poland so i was very interested those are sporting players are polish actors and i love jim carrey so it was exciting to see the combination of the two and what was going to happen but yeah this is uh this is a funny old beast. It's a uh, it, it's it's a film that sort of really smacks you in the face as soon as the film starts. It's like it's a proper eighteen, and you know that from the very very first couple of scenes. And it also makes you feel very uncomfortable as well because it's all about um, women being abused and, and and stuff like that. So it's you know it's, it's particularly dark material. Uh, Jim Carrey is is fine, but he's like going out. You know, it's a film that is. Completely humorous. It's like they're very intentionally. He's gone for a role which is offering no room for any uh, humor whatsoever, and he's he's fine. Uh, I think it's funny how the the DVD cover over here they've added a, a sort of they've superimposed that his hand holding a gun uh, on on the cover, sort of really unconvincingly, because he, there's nothing like that in, in the movie really, but. It's, I quite, I did think it was alright, I didn't hate it, I quite, I did quite like it really, although I was very uncomfortable with it. Um, I felt he sounded more Irish than Polish, so, uh, that, that, that was kind of a little bit grating, but, yeah, I mean, it, overall I would say it's a, it's a curious film to see. It's a, say, it's, it's an American, it's an American production, uh, it's like Brett Ratner's one of the producers. It's a Greek director, uh, an American star and a Polish location and supporting cast, so it's, it's like a real mixed, mixed, uh, you know, mixed production. But the high, you know, high quality production values and, and that, and uh, 
very good ending, I thought. I did like the ending a lot. What language is it in? Oh, it's in English. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all English. Although uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg is in it, and she's always been an actress I've been quite interested in. I think she did a film called The Cement Garden hmm. back in the uh, like in the nineties or something, and she hasn't really changed very much. She always does. She always does quite challenging, uh, sort of dark kind of roles in, uh, that I've seen her in. Uh, but I, I did like her a lot. But she was the only one who, it seemed, wasn't trying to do an accent or anything. She was literally just playing it with an English accent, which was a bit distracting. Uh, the the other lead actor in it, who's also playing Polish, is um, I think he's Australian or from New Zealand or something. So they're all they're all sort of trying. Uh, and uh, yeah, but but she she doesn't for some reason. But yeah, it's a, it's a you'd have to be in the right frame of mind to watch it. I think. Right. Uh, moving on to Deep Blue Sea 2 that we um, hinted at earlier. Now, you know, we said, we said that um, it, it doesn't really sort of lend itself to be a proper sequel. Right. Um, no, so yeah. if I go back to Deep Blue Sea 2, I was just wondering how does how does Deep Blue Sea 2 rank with other Warner Home Video DTV sequels and stuff like uh, Return to House on Haunted Hill and stuff like that? Uh, well, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen the, you know, the Death Race films and um, uh, the Scorpion Kings, you know, that sort of thing. I'm thinking about the Warner Brothers ones rather oh, than the Universal. Oh, the Universal, sorry, yeah, the Universal. Um, I don't know, to be quite honest, but um, I thought, you know, production values weren't too bad. You know, they've got the sort of sub, semi-submerged corridors and things like that going on. Um, but what they don't have is... Um, any real sharks, or you know, they've got sort of these mini baby sharks as the main threat, basically. Oh, um, and it doesn't really, you know, they're not, they're not very well rendered, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't really sort of add anything to it, unfortunately. So you're just sort of waiting for like the cast to be whittled down and you know, a few people to escape at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a missed opportunity, it really is. Escape Plan 2 is our next one. Dave Batista and Sylvester Stallone. Um, we've commented on this before in the coming soon because it really looks like Sylvester Stallone's character is the guy in the, the guy behind the desk mm-hmm. who's not going to be in the film very much. Um, I haven't seen this yet, but people tell me it's pretty rotten. And in fact, Ross was telling me the other day that he can't understand it. He says it's completely incomprehensible as a film. Yeah, the reviews <laughs> seem to back that up. This is um, out on VOD, and to raise its profile, it's been in a couple of cinemas, but it's going to be coming out on DVD in September, I think. But this is made, this is out on the video on demand service at the moment, and the reviews are saying, uh, you know, like Escape Plan 1, it was Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. You knew they were both in it. They were both the leads. Arnie wasn't in it as much, but it was them. And in this one, it's doing the same old sort of... Well, it's from Stephen C. Miller, and it's kind of doing the same thing as some of his other movies where they kind of go, they present it as one thing, but it's something else yeah. entirely. So Sylvester Stallone and Dave Bautista, it's not them teaming up. They're not the main leads. Uh, apparently, they're only in it, like, maybe a third of the running time. And as we noticed on the trailer... There are these other supporting characters, including a, like an, a, an Asian character hmm. who is more central to what's happening in the story. And when when films do that, they a bit like what we were saying with like two one one. When they do that, the films end up being a bit of a mess. Yeah, 
Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but I shall be watching it anyway. And I shall be watching it as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to Fanned Up. Um, this is a British uh, horror comedy. Um, and it also features Stu Bennett again, which is really nice. Um, I've got a little bit of an issue with this film, though. Um, and that is the lead guy in it is, is some sort of comedian, from what I understand. Um, and he's a bit of an asshole in real life. Um, Daniel O'Reilly. Um, he goes by another pseudonym, um, I could, which I can't remember what it is. But, Dapper um, Laughs. Sorry? Dapper Laughs. That's it. Dapper. Is it Dapper Laughs? Oh, yeah, Dapper Laughs. Huh. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of... It's, it's one of those situations where I'm going to have to... Um, Disengage, you know, the the person from the film, if you see what I mean, you know, the art, the artist from the art, uh, in order to actually watch this. I want to watch it because it's got Stu Bennett in it, and and it does actually look quite funny. I don't, I, I just don't get this film because um, I'm going to stick it on the second we we we, we yeah. part ways tonight. Um, I don't get one why it's got like a crazy IMDb score of eight point seven. And I don't get why, if you look at the forthcoming releases on Amazon, it, it's like ranked number one and two with regards to popularity. Um, because to me, you know, I'm not expecting to enjoy it in any way. Uh, it's co-written by Nick Nevin, who isn't someone I really, uh, you know, look forward to his films. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But as I've to Dapple Ass, um, I know both of you will have been glued to the recent series of Celebrity Big Brother. <laughs> no? No, no. Um, I, watched, I watched every episode and he was in it and he was actually really, really good. And he came across as a really nice individual who'd obviously been in some kind of uh, made some comments that he would re- regretted in a past life uh, that he, he would hope to, uh, you know, shed and move away from. So, you know, I, I don't mind him all that much, to be honest, because he seemed like a, a pretty uh, decent individual. Mm. Uh, trouble, the trouble is, he went after one of my um, sort of colleagues on the other podcast. And, oh, uh, yeah, sort of, you know, professionally, shall we say, via tweets, um, didn't go down very well. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure I'll get to see it anyway, and I'll, I'll try and sort of like put that to the back of my mind when I do. Can I just say this? Uh, something that's just piqued my interest in this: the director of it is apparently Christian James. Who made a film called Freak Out in 2004? Which was, that was uh, very good. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was great. Mic- really good micro budget. I've seen that one. British yeah. and stalled. I've seen stalled. Yeah. And stalled. stalled. But yeah, I mean, that Freak Out, I mean, I bought the DVD, it's gone now, unfortunately, but it was a really good two disc set, had loads of extras and stuff. It was mm. Fantastic, yeah. you know, um, you know, people interested in filmmaking and that. But the. Uh, it's such a such a good film. I, I, yeah. that, that's actually. I mean, when I watched the trailer for this, I was just like, mm, nah, not not really bothered. What you're saying, I'm like, yeah, no, but um, no, I'm I'm definitely really interested in it now that I know it's this director. Mm. Okay, moving on to our obligatory asylum film of the week. Um, it is Flight Six Six Six. Now, I really really like this film. Believe it or not. Um, I thought this was really good. It's all set on one location on this um, on this sort of airliner. Uh, there's some spooky goings on. There's a lot of cliches, but it it actually works for once. Um, you know, when when asylum isn't sort of worried with 
giant octopuses and God knows what else, um, they've actually still managed to put together a decent DTV movie. How does it compare to stuff like The Final Flight, uh, which was, uh, I can't remember the original title, but The um, Chariot, that was it. Yeah, um, not not as good, I will say, um, because it has you know different sort of set, more more obvious cliches, shall we say? Um, but it does really well, and it's got some decent sort of spooky moments. You know, it um, it channels the Twilight Zone episode, you know, Terror Thirty Thousand Feet. Um, it's got a very gory opening montage as well, and and you know you spend a lot of time wondering how the hell that sort of um, links into the film but it eventually does I I just thought it was really well done yeah looking forward to this I rented it tonight so uh, I can't wait to uh, can't wait to get it on mm-hmm. how long is it is it about 80 minutes yeah yes. roughly yeah, yeah along those sort of lines yeah definitely yeah. I'm curious I'm, I'm, I'm behind on my airplane movies so I still need mm. to see Flight from Hell and uh, <laughs> Lost in the Pacific and then I'll probably uh, this one will be probably after that yeah, it's probably a good order to watch them in. <laughs> okay, moving on to a film called Miles. I have no idea what this is. Um, an incredibly feel-good movie from beginning to end, says somebody. Yeah, okay, moving on. Um, it seems also- a surprise. I mean, I'm just... Uh, this seems... I was really surprised that this is not a cinema release film. Uh, I did double-check it, and I couldn't see it. I mean, it's got a really good cast. It's, it seems like a good, you know... Indie drama, uh, Paul Reiser, Yardley Smith, Stephen Root, Missy Pyle, Molly Shannon. Uh, this is, I've, I've not watched any clips or anything, but I'd be interested to watch this. Okay, I've not yeah. it's about or anything. I, th- I think it verges on LGBT uh, a little bit because I know Matchbox have put it out. Um, but it, it's it's not very gay, to be honest. It's um, it's pretty much like a, like a Hallmark movie, you know, like a made for TV mm-hmm. film. So it, it's very family friendly. Um, to be honest, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 just meh, you know. It's <laughs> yeah, it's forgettable. That's it's uh, it's, it's one to move on from. Okay. Do you think on. I picked this up because of stuff? Because I didn't know about. I didn't know. Sorry, can I just say I didn't know about the um, the gay themes or anything in it. But is that, do you think they might pick this up because of that Love Simon film that's coming out? That's a uh, lot high profile. Is it Love Simon the film about the, yeah. the boy uh, in the high school? I don't know. You don't know. I've got a feeling that might be why. So that's coming out soon, or it's been out. Ah, yeah. That's getting a lot of praise. Okay. Moving on, Rich, to of gods and Mm -hmm. warriors. Um, Now I watched this during the week. I kind of liked it a lot. Um, What was it originally called? I can't remember. Um, Viking Destiny or something. Oh, uh, like yeah. Um, I love the fact that it's got Martin Ford and Terence Stamp. They're not two, yeah. uh, two guys I would have expected to see in the same movie. No, you wouldn't. Um, this, is, this isn't this is too bad. It hasn't got a huge budget, but it, it makes good with what it has, that's for sure. Um, Anna Demetrio is really good in it. Um, she's got a really good stunt double uh, helping her out. Um, nothing we haven't seen before, really. It's and it, you know, it doesn't scale the heights of Northmen as the Viking saga, but it is probably head and shoulders above a lot of the other sort of Viking slash medieval movies that have been out recently. 
And it also it seems the lead actor is Will Meller, who most people probably know from Hollyoaks and, and yeah. uh, what was it, uh, Two Pints of Lago. Well, I mean, you know, the lead in it is Anna Dimitriou. Ah, she's um, the lead. Yeah, she, she's, she's the main lead. Uh, Terence Stamp isn't too bad. I mean, I, I originally sort of put him down as being too detached in, the, in his role. But then I thought, well, he's playing Odin and maybe, you know, he would be. But um, the guy How is his play- Odin compared to Anthony Hopkins' as Odin? Yeah, almost similar, mm-hmm. you know, um, except without the sort of playfulness of uh, Hopkins, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other guy playing um, um, Loki, he he's pretty good. He reminds me of the guy who played um, Merlin in Excalibur. You, you know, so and it's got a nice little twist at the end. I quite liked it. So, I do like the cover design. I think I've done good with that. Yeah, they've done a good job. Um, it's got some terrible reviews on YouTube for the trailer and things like that. But ignore those. Um, check it out if you like your sort of Vikings and you know that sort of thing. How does it fit against something like Knights of? How long? How does it compare with like Knights of the Damned, for example? It is a, a big step up from that um, mm. budget-wise. You know. Um, you, uh, and and script wise as well, some, there are some really good scenes in it. It's it's probably worth checking out. There's some some really excruciating stuff in there as well, you know. So like um, dancing around the fireplace and that sort of thing. But um, overall, I thought it was worth seeing. Okay, we've got two that I really want to sort of skip over. One stars Debbie Ryan, that's Riptide, and the other one, Saving Winston. Um, if you, I love. I just want to say on Riptide, it's. She's a fashionista out of water, which I think is funny. And uh, the other one is uh, Saving Winston. It's like, if you love horses, you'll really enjoy this one. Oh, Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> really? it's about horses. It's literally about horses. It's an equine enthusiast's dream. Absolutely. Now, having skipped over those two, I'm going to delve into the next one. And that is Shark Shock. Yeah, what is this? I don't know anything about this one. Well, it's, it's been. This is a sci-fi movie, and it is actually originally called Trailer Park Shark. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, that's what this is. And in fact, if you pay a little bit of attention to the, the cover, you can see that sort of you know oh, bobbing about in the water are a couple of caravans. Um, now, who did know, who I, directed Trailer Park Shark? I'm, I'm sure Griff I'm, first. Griff yeah, first. that's it. That's where I know the director from. Yeah, who he made this. He made this. Uh, what's the Cold Moon? Yeah. Didn't he do Cold Moon oh, and then he did Cold this? Cold Moon. Yeah. Really? Is that the same director? Mm. Yeah. I like Cold Moon. It's a ridiculous yeah. film, but it's actually enjoyable. You know, they, they just throw everything at it. This just looks, you know, the CGI in this looks rubbish. The colours look horrible. Everything about it just looks really rank. It's kind of stock in trade and the asylum movie is kind of front, isn't it? Well, it's not even asylum, it's just as as billed as a sci-fi. Griff has has made Swap Shark and Ghost Shark, so it's almost a third in his shark trilogy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I rented it today as well, so I've got an orgy of of, of mediocrity tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on to the changeover. Um, I looked at the trailer for this before before recording. I could not make head nor tail out of what was going on. It was a dreadful trailer. It really is. Um, the only thing going for it is the fact that it's got um, uh, Timothy Spall playing some sort of weird, almost sort of paedophile character. 
Lucy Lawless is in it as well, apparently. And yeah, James. I think it's a, it is a um, I think it's a New Zealand production. Oh, is it? Is it like tweeny Twilight kind of stuff? Yeah, that's, what I, that's the vibe I, I get. No, I don't think so. I think it's more to do with um, it is sort of ghosts and abductions and that sort of thing going on. The, the cover is certainly saying tweeny Twilight and. The cover is just so bland. I don't know. It, it, it just doesn't 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 look great at all. It I mean, it, it really doesn't. Yeah, I don't know how that, I don't know how that cover is going to appeal to anybody. If, if they see them, I mean, I didn't order it in the end because like, HMV must have had a pricing mm. issue on it. It was nineteen ninety nine. I thought, right, avoid what? that. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, just like a pricing glitch. It was like mm. an eight quid on Amazon. Um, but I, I know if like any kids like. Teenagers see this on the shelf, they just won't be inspired in any way. I mean, they're far too young for Twilight. And you know, yeah. I mean, Twilight was years ago, so they, they wouldn't have uh, had to go through that phenomenon. So it won't mean anything to the people that want to rent. So yeah, I don't get that really. But yeah, that doesn't appeal. I'm just looking at the original poster on the IMDb, and it's yeah. actually quite an in- the original poster is quite intriguing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, penultimate one is the Mumbai Siege, which we've talked about already. We'll skip that. Um, and finally, we have Thumper. Um, I checked out the trailer for this. This looks kind of interesting, I must admit. Good cast. Uh, Alina Hedy. Um, and who's that as well? Pablo Schreiber. And Eliza Taylor. I don't know who they are, but um, mm. I love the cover. I think it's really... Uh, striking and it's got, it's, it makes me want to see the movie without having seen any trailers or anything. And the fact that it met, references Midnight Special as mm. well. You're not yeah. a um, you're not a um, Game of Thrones person, then, uh, Rich. No. Otherwise, you'd know who Lena Headey is. Oh no, um, no, I, I know who she is because she's right. in absolutely tons of stuff. Yeah. But um, but I don't know who the other guys are. No, Lena Headey uh, was was in loads of stuff before Game of Thrones. <laughs> she's been around for ages. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is about a young girl who um, gets involved. I'm not. I'm not sure if she's actually an undercover policewoman, but um, that's kind of what comes through from the trailer. And she's trying to sort of work her way up through this sort of drug gang, um, and sort of trying to make a bust, basically, and getting in over her head. Our old friend, person walking away from the camera, is, uh, is back again. Is that again? Yeah. <laughs> and a helicopter. Yeah, it might be, cool. might be a bit misleading. I'm not sure. I'm just going to have a look to see, see if I can find the original posters. Yeah, the original poster's completely different mm. to that. So, ooh, yeah, it's like a, the original poster is it's like somebody leaning their head back and blowing up smoke. Mm. And in the smoke is the picture of the person walking away and uh, the actress Eliza's face. So they've retained some of the same imagery. But uh, yeah, that original poster is quite, a, you know, very interesting. That's a very interesting poster. It, it, I, I'm, I was curious to see the movie before, but based on having seen the original poster as well, I'm, I'm even more curious. I think it's, it, it sounds like it'll be quite interesting. A film yeah. by Jordan Ross, apparently, whose, whose work I'm not familiar with. Yeah, um, tra- the trailer does look very good for this, so I um, probably will check this out myself. <laughs> Okay, and that is the end of the washing up. It's the end of the show. Thank God I can rest my voice and just go and die in a corner. Um, You've done very well, Michael. I think we're, we're going to give you a round of applause. I've got to edit out a lot of coughing fits, but there you go. Um, next week, 
It'll be me and Will Bentley will be back on the show. And we're going to be taking a look at The Deck Collector, uh, the new film with Scott Atkins and Lewis Mandalore, among others. And also we'll be featuring a uh, interview that I did with the director, uh, Jesse Johnson. So that's going to be an, a very special episode next time. So thank you for listening and tune in for our Deck Collector special. to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.